Write to be read podcast, episode number 100. Interview with me. Hey, authors. Wish you could just write books and forget about all this marketing and coordinating with freelancers and formatting and proofreading and stuff. You're not alone. It's every artist's dream to just be able to create art while turning over the whole business and marketing side to someone who really loves and is really great at doing just that. If you're ready to start treating your writing like a business and get an experienced publishing and marketing team behind your words, pay a visit to Archangel Inc. Archangel Inc. does absolutely everything needed to take a manuscript and turn it into a finished product ready to sell in all markets and multiple formats from cover design to audiobook and everything in between. And as an Archangel Inc. client, you'll be able to promote your book through Buck Books, the world's fastest growing book promotion website at no extra charge. To find out more, go to www.archangelinc.com. That's archangelinc.com. You are listening to the Right to Be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to Be Read podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. I can't believe I've told this already 100 times. I'm really happy to announce that today we are at episode 100, and I would like to especially thank those who have been listening to the podcast since the very first day it has launched. And that was back in July 1st, 2014. So since July, everyone who has been listening to every single episode, who has been encouraging me, writing emails and making me feel special by leaving reviews, subscribing to the podcast and supporting me in every single way. I'm really, really honored. I really appreciate every single one of you. And I think that you had a really big part of the success I'm having now and you've been part of my journey and if not you and your encouragement and your positive attitude and really great feedback I might not have been doing this for so long and I definitely would not enjoy doing it as much as I do now. So I was just thinking, what could I do in order to have something special for episode 100? I had different thoughts, but none of them was really, really good enough. And I did not come up with anything really great. So I kind of went back to my my archives and ended up thinking that why don't I use um interview which I have recorded just few weeks after I launched the, the podcast and which I never actually aired before. So um I decided that it's time that it's aired and I decided that it might be special because it's different and it's not really about writing. And it's something I never had before on the show. So it will be here today for the episode 100. And what I'm talking about is 
interview with me. So basically, when I just launched my podcast, a very good friend and a fellow podcaster, Bill Nowicki, hijacked my show and actually interviewed me with the aim of um, making my listeners know me better as a person. So I... Um, I can't really explain actually why I never put it live before, but I think that um, it's a really nice interview and it kind of it's it's kind of symbolic because it was recorded when I was just starting, when I didn't know much about podcasting, when I was making my baby steps forward, and when I didn't have any listeners most probably back then so basically we're turning on the time machine we're going back to the time when right to be read podcast was a newborn baby it was just launched and you're going to listen to the story of the person who created it and you're going to hear me talking about myself and my life for the first time. So Bill did a great job trying to um, find out more personal details and things that I did not speak about before. So I hope it will be interesting for you and I hope you will enjoy this interview. Well, let's start then. All right. This is Bill Nowicki, host of Submarine Sea Stories podcast. And Annie Alexander is going to talk a little bit more about herself today. And I'm going to hijack her show and interview her. Won't that be fun? Well, good morning, Annie, or good Hello. afternoon to you. <laughs> Hello. And I'm, I'm really happy that you're hijacking my show. <laughs> good. Well, I, I hope you are at the end too. But uh, I was—I listened to your podcast, and you're part of the podcast incubator with Marone Bereket and the rest of us. And when I listened to your podcast, I wanted to know more about your life and growing up and being in the U.S. I'm not familiar with Armenia and you know just your uh, culture there. So why don't you talk about? your earliest recollections as a child and maybe a little bit about your schooling and how books and reading came into your life when you mm -hmm. were young. Okay, so uh, I was born in Armenia and I lived here until I was 12 years old. So, uh, and we start school when we are six. So I, 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 start, I studied the first seven years of school in, in Armenia. Uh, our childhood was a bit different because in the first years of school, uh, we were still part of the Soviet Union. So um, I studied in the English school. So when we were just six years old, from the very first year, we studied three languages parallel to each other. So we studied Armenian, Russian and English. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, all these three languages had different alphabets. We have our own unique alphabet. 
um, Russian alphabet is different and the Latin alphabet is different. So from six years old, <laughs> we were studying mm. three different alphabets parallel to each other. And uh, it, the most terrible thing were the English classes because... Uh, my real name, I mean, uh, Annie Alexander is my pen name. My real name is Annie Chibuchian. And <laughs> it's. <laughs> Wait a when, minute. <laughs> when you spell you, it. <laughs> yeah, how do you spell that? One? Well, it's C H I B U K H C H Y A N. So. Mm. Children were, I mean, in, in English classes, we were going to the, the uh, to the whiteboard. Well, it was a blackboard with a chalk back then. Mm -hmm. So we were going there and everyone had to write their name in English. And it was, you know, <laughs> oh, boy. for me, that was like the first part, the worst part of the English class. Mm. So uh, also we had a uniform. So the whole school uh, was dressed absolutely identical. And in general, in schools of the Soviet Union, we had uh, standardized approaches to everything. So you were supposed to think um, like the others. You were supposed to behave like the others. It was very strict. But parallel to that, I mean, I don't want to say that everything was bad because um, parallel to that, the Soviet educational system was very strong. And I'm very happy that I studied there because we had a very high quality education. Mm. So that part was really good. So at the end, maybe all those small things were... Uh, I mean, if if you are if you were to become uh, mathematicians, for example, uh, then it's it's very good because you know uh, what was bad in the Soviet schools was that they were killing the creativity. Um, they were not uh, allowing like much of the free will and imagination and things like that. But if you are not into the creative profession later on, or you know you don't want to become a writer or a painter or whatever, and you're more into the uh, physics and mathematics or right. you know more like um, more let's say serious Science. scientific things then you know maybe it was the best uh, place to study so for you like do you remember the first time because as a kid you're you're born with a creative piece to you you mm -hmm. you're a dancer you're a singer you're a writer you you color, you do all these great things as a child. Then as you get older, you find out you're not really a dancer. <laughs> you're not really a singer. Because, yeah. You know, so you find out what you can't do. But do you remember any moments when you were growing up that uh, you tried something a little different? You were told, no, no, this is no good. Or Well, I'll tell you. I mean, from, from the very young age, I really enjoyed reading. And mm. in school, uh, we had... Um, two literature classes, the Armenian literature class and the Russian literature class. Uh, so you had a specific, you know, program and for the school you had to read certain things and then whatever you read, you discuss or you write about that uh, different opinions as a homework. So what happened was um, that these opinions or the analysis of the books were already ready. And, you know, the, the teacher was telling you how you were supposed to uh. receive the book. 
So um, so there was a right and a wrong answer. Yes, there is a right and a wrong answer in literature. For me, it was very strange, but there was. So very often I would end up, you know, coming up and, uh, you know, they, they call you to the desk and uh, you have to, to tell the homework, let's say, and speak about a certain book or a certain, certain piece of a story uh, in a way that you're supposed to tell. So when you ended up telling your own opinion, you were getting like F or what we, <laughs> it, it, it was two in our case because we uh. had a system up to five. So five was the best and two was the worst. And we got one if, if we were trying to help out someone else and, you know, they were catching us at that moment. So, oh, I see. Cheating. Cheating, yeah. So <laughs> you were getting, um, well, actually one was getting the person who was trying to help the other, not the one who was copying from you. Oh, anyway, see, yeah. so, um, so I had a couple of twos just because I didn't, you know, uh, tell the opinion or did analyze the poem in, in a certain way, uh, which was, uh, I made the conclusion that, okay, fine, you know, I have my own opinion still, but I won't share it with the others. I'll just uh, tell whatever they want to hear and it's the easier way out. So I wasn't really a rebel back then. Uh, but I, I didn't really, um, I didn't really uh, got brainwashed by by everything they told. <laughs> now, what about your parents' reaction? You did you bring it up to your parents? Did they tell you how to handle things? Oh well, I don't think that I really discussed it with them um, because uh, I don't know. Somehow it happened so that everything that happened at school uh, was I wasn't discussing them uh, at home because I was getting good grades generally. I wasn't having big problems at school, and mm. they were happy with me. So uh, they thought everything was smooth and fun, and. Ah. Uh, and then, you know, I wasn't raising those issues myself. I had a problem once, which I shared with my mom, and she supported me and came to, to school to talk with the uh, with the teacher. That was when um, we had, like, the chiefs, the heads of the classes. And I was one at a certain period of time. And uh, it happened so that the teacher was asking me to tell who got bad grades from which subject during the class we had, which was called like, you know, class issues or something like that. So I was refusing to do that because I was saying there, there is a journal where all the teachers put their grades so you can just have a look i'm not going to, to, put, <laughs> to put children down just you know by being the bad person who's uh. just you know bringing up the bad news and um so she was really unhappy about that so we we were having this uh, tense situation every time she was asking every time i was refusing to say and then i was asking her to to put someone else in that position and she was saying no you have to learn to be responsible right. and do what what you're supposed to do so when i when i couldn't solve this issue anymore i just came home and told my mom that you know this is the situation i'm at and once a week every time i'm getting this you know unpleasant <laughs> feeling mm -hmm. um so she came and spoke with the teacher 
and uh, both stayed on their opinions. <laughs> the teacher said that, you know, she was right. My mom said that, you know, she doesn't want me to feel uh, bad about things and she supports me because she thinks that I'm right and I shouldn't put people down. Uh, so at the end, the problem was solved because, uh, you know, someone else was in my place later on and uh, someone who felt comfortable about that and did what he was told to to do so that's that's the only time i guess when when we kind of um, had uh, some uh, problematic issue related to school discussed at home <laughs> right but it was a way to control your mind by uh there's a lot of shame involved in that right so yeah. you wanted to shame the people the kids in the school to say look who screwed up this week well you know the good thing i mean uh, i understand that there was a good message in that because mm -hmm. it was shameful to study bad back then so everyone was trying to study well and did their best so the message itself was good but the means and the approach how they were you know putting this into practice uh, was not really the, the right one so mm -hmm. otherwise i mean I, I i'm i'm okay that you know children should feel that studying well is a good thing oh, and I they see. should try etc that uh, mentality itself is a good thing to put into children but not that way i guess right and about what don't not to give away your age but about when was this in the soviet uh, uh regime was this toward the end and was the well, soviet it was union towards breaking the end. up we were like a pioneers i mean uh, from the fourth grade children were uh, becoming pioneers like the lenin's uh, you know followers let's say and we were having these uh, red scarves on our necks uh, and um, that was uh, i mean we managed to be pioneers for two three years max and then everything changed so it was uh, until um, maybe late 80s mm -hmm. yeah so the so you were at 12 years old did you leave before the breakup of the soviet union oh it was it just broke up actually when i left uh the problem was that the breaking up with the soviet union almost coincided with the war we had with azerbaijan so there was a war on the border uh fortunately it did not come to the country but it affected terribly the country because we uh i remember that it was winter i mean i i spent that period just few months here so i wasn't really uh we left quite soon and um, I, I relieved these terrible consequences just for a few short months but people were living like that for years they didn't have electricity they didn't mm. have running water uh, they cut all the trees because uh, we didn't have heating and it was right. terribly cold in the winters and because of the blockade, uh, we we had problems with um, the bread and the food, and everything was terribly problematic. And uh, our, my nation relieved horrors back then for a few years. So uh, I left quite early, but it I mean it just started when I left with my family because. And where did you go? Uh, we went to Bulgaria. It happened so that at that period, my 
brother was just a baby uh, and my father found a job in Bulgaria. And we moved uh, there uh, with uh, his working contract. And it appeared that that year when we went to Bulgaria was the worst year in Bulgaria because they also had some problems. It was much, much better than in Armenia, of course, but also they had some electricity uh, cuts during the day. They also had some problems with food. Uh, we had huge queues to buy milk for the baby, etc., etc. So it wasn't that easy, but you know, when you go there from a place which was much worse, you know, it was relatively good and we were quite happy. <laughs> Right. Well, that was that's funny that, you know, a lot of people came to this country and lived in what we would consider bad uh, situations in big cities. And yet it was a lot better than it was in Eastern Europe and places like that. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot more of them came. We're having well, that problem. now. I mean, you have to compare. I mean, uh, right. of course, it's like, you know. You, you're not happy if you don't have the shoes you like, but when you see someone who doesn't have legs, right. then you realize that, you know, those shoes were not really so important. So it right. all depends what you compare to what. Right. So the talk more about, because now you're in your teen years and, and things like that. What, what was, how does writing enter your life? Well, uh, writing, uh, didn't enter yet, actually, because, uh, well, I enjoyed writing. I mean, when we were having as a homework different composition on different topics, uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed uh, coming up with texts, etc. But, you know, I, I wasn't doing anything special. Uh, where I started writing when I was 16. That's when I wrote my first poem. And uh, on the podcast, I have a separate episode explaining this first writing experience. But actually, that was the first time I realized that I could write. Mm. And uh, it was very strange for me because I wrote in English. And back then, I didn't know English that well. And Mm. I mean, I don't know why it happened so, because I mean, English is is my foreign language. Mm. Uh, But it just happened. Uh, I still can't... explain how but from that first poem on I kept on writing poems Mm. and then uh, the writing I mean the writing always came back to me periodically in different forms Uh, after I I finished with the poems um, and was in the university I didn't write that much Uh, but I was the chief editor of our university uh, newspaper so I was working with the new university texts uh, and also I was doing interviews with the professors, students, etc. So it was still kind of, you know, another form of writing, let's say. Uh, later on, somehow I started writing flash fiction and short stories. So it kind of, you know, I started writing a bit longer things. Mm-hmm. Um, then I started a blog, which was a completely different form of writing. And after that, uh, I wrote my first novel, which was like the the longest thing I've ever written. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it kind of developed. It was coming back to me all the time. I wasn't encouraged by anyone. uh, And I was thinking that it was just a hobby. 
So mm-hmm. uh, I was just, you know, uh, looking at it as a hobby. So I wasn't really doing anything specific about that. Whenever the muse came, it hit me. I felt like I, I felt like mm-hmm. I wanted to write. I was writing, and uh, that was it. I mean, I will, very often I wasn't even showing it to anyone. So it was just, you know, in my computer file, <laughs> etc. So um, it wasn't anything specific. Maybe what made the push, I think, was about um i don't remember even maybe around eight years ago or something like that i uh i wrote a very short story like 200 word short story and um it happened so that a few days after that paulo coelho's blog i was looking through it and paulo coelho had put an announcement saying that you know please submit your short stories up to 250 mm. words and the ones i like i'll publish it in my blog so i sent over the this short story i had written a few days ago and I received uh, from his assistant or agent or whoever it was, I don't know. But I received uh, an email saying that Paolo really liked your poem, uh, your story, and would like your permission to publish it in his blog. And it's mm. still there. So it was maybe the first time that someone who knew about writing kind of, you know, oh, gave right. a positive uh, feedback about that. Mm. So so I thought like, oh, yeah, well, so it was good enough for you know showing it to the public so actually you know maybe it's not really complete crap what i'm writing maybe i should start you know showing it to people (laughs) so i guess that's when um it it brought me to to the thought that maybe i i could start you know looking at it a bit seriously Mm -hmm. now was there any books that you remember in in this period that really struck you or uh, the books that you really love and why you love those reading those books well actually um i don't know there are many people who kind of um evaluate books based on their um quality literary quality and and the style uh, writing style etc for me uh the good book is the book who which has any kind of impact on me emotional impact i mean i love books which i relieve while reading those so i should be just not a reader from a side i should be inside the book right. feeling it so uh, i mean there are many maybe it's it's a shame to tell but there are many famous uh, books which i haven't read until the end because i mean i i give a book around maximum 50 uh, pages chance if i mm. if i'm not able to get you mm. know involved in the book myself and feel it then it's not for me so for me uh, uh, good books are those uh, with which I'm emotionally attached. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and what's one of those books? Well, um, just a few years ago, I wrote the ro- I read the Road by uh, Cormac McCarthy. Oh, I don't remember the name right now, but is it the Road R O A D? Yes. Okay. And it's it was like. Uh, I was amazed by how, uh, you know, basically not much was happening during the whole book, mm-hmm. actually. It didn't have, like, action or, you know, storyline or, you know, mm-hmm. nothing was happening. It was post-apocalyptic 
uh, state. Uh, there was no one in the world. It was all burnt. It was all desert. And there was a father and a son who were trying to survive just, you know, going through the roads, getting into the forest, passing the forest and things like that. So they had, uh, they didn't have anything to eat. Uh, they were cold and, you know, basically that this was the story. And, uh, and you ended up reading like hundreds of pages of just that, their journey. And since the, the child was quite young, there wasn't even many dialogues <laughs> even. But I was amazed how he just took your hand and you were going through the whole road right. and you were feeling everything they felt. So together with them, you were cold, you were hungry and, you know, you didn't want to put the book down because you wanted to see, okay, what's next? Although you, you knew that basically, I mean, for, for a quite long period of time in the whole book, they were just, you know, walking and going forward, but nothing really happened in between. Mm -hmm. So, and it was just two of them, most of the book. So it was just, uh, I mean, amazing how could a writer without having much help from in terms of action, in terms of characters, etc., etc., how could he create a whole reality which would keep you for two days together with the book right. and the characters? So, right. I mean, that was really, really interesting, especially since I don't usually read this genre of books. So for me, it mm -hmm. was even stronger because I mean usually it's not something uh, you know I look <laughs> at right. so much yeah I, I'm the same way I love the being transported you know you're no longer just laying on your bed reading a book it's you become part of the story and you can't uh, you get so involved in it you can't extricate yourself from it you're part of that dialogue and what's going to happen next and the emotions, like you said, I agree. I love the emotions of a book and where it takes me. And I, you know, we're we're on podcasts, so we're storytellers. But I listen to podcasts and audio books too, and I can remember not remembering where I was driving or missing a turn because I was so involved in the story. Mm -hmm, I see. Well, another one which also I read recently is "The Ocean at the End of the Lane" by Neil Gaiman. It's another one which is not really, it's a mystic thing, mystic thriller and things like that. And it's absolutely not, not the genre I read usually, but that also was very, very influential. And the other one which I loved was The Book Thief. And that one was uh, was really good as well. I mean, those are the ones which are, uh, you know, different from the others. So it's not really a standard book that a person wrote because he knew that readers like these kind of books. And, you know, you just look at it as a business and you write it. It's, it's the other way around. I think those books were written because uh, the writer felt that they should have been written. And then just, you know, the audience picked it up. So it was like more the writer was dictating dictating mm -hmm. what should be read instead of the other right. way around. Yeah. So where are you now on your writing journey? Well, uh, at this stage, I have uh, one book of short stories where I have like 23 small stories there and two novels published on Amazon. Um, my literary agent found a publisher. So most probably during September, I will 
be signing a contract with the publisher for my short stories book plus the first novel. And um, it will be translated in Spanish and sold in Spain first mm. and then maybe in the US the English version second. But it's, I mean, they are still negotiating the details. And uh, I have one unfinished thing which I started and um, I really love the idea and I will definitely finish the book. But right now I'm like still deciding how to continue it. Mm-hmm. Uh and um and I'm I'm thinking about that very soon I should look at it more seriously and come up with a real plan and and write more books and more frequently and put myself into this habit of writing every day. I'm not there yet, but you know, mm-hmm. very soon I will start looking at it, you know, more professionally, let's say. <laughs> yeah. And and since this, uh, I think I'm going to close with this question, but since you do a podcast for writers, why don't you tell folks what your normal day is like in terms of, uh, I find it fascinating. I'm an electrical engineer, so my life's a lot different than a writer's life, but I love the idea of how do you get in the creative mode? So how do you be- get in that creative mode? Well, um, when I'm writing fiction, because I mean, writing is... It includes different things. You can write a blog post. You can write like the small script of the podcast episode or, you know, different things. So mainly what requires most concentration and put you into the wave is fiction writing for me personally. So and with fiction writing, I have two stages. One is when, uh, you know, you uh, there is, I mean, at some point, it doesn't matter when it is. It may be at night or it may be in the morning. It doesn't really matter it's not really predictable but deep inside you have this feeling that you know something is there and if you sit now it will come out and you will Mm. write something good you just you just feel it inside it's not i mean it's nothing to describe you can't really define it very um very well but you know it's it's just this feeling in in your guts that you know something is coming out you you know it's almost ready you just have to sit down and pour it out at those points i mean it's it's very crucial that you are somewhere where you can just get a pen and paper or computer and you you definitely have to write to sit down and write and the strangest thing is when i'm sitting down at that point exactly i'd have no idea what i will be writing about i have no clue i don't know anything but i write the first sentence and it flows and it has a feeling that someone else is writing it not you some like someone Mm -hmm. is telling you what to write and it's it i mean it's not really deliberate it just happens so those are the things which uh, come out as the best writing pieces usually because Mm. those are like i don't know i mean it's just a magical process it happens you know after the first sentence it just flows and you write you don't know when you will finish you don't know how you will finish it just happens it goes and and then at some point you 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 realize that that's it and you sit up so it it, of course it doesn't happen with novels i'm talking mostly about short pieces like short stories essays flash fiction 
poems, things like that. So those are like the best times when you feel it and you you know and it happens. And I, I I'm still not sure whether it's me <laughs> writing or the muse writing or whatever. But those are like the perfect times. If that doesn't happen, if I'm writing something longer, which takes like you know days, months, and if if for example I'm working on a novel, what happens is um, usually if I have something written already, what I'm doing is absolute solitude. So I'm writing when I'm alone at home, or you know, very early in the morning when when the others are sleeping, or very late in the night, and you know, I need to be alone. Uh, I have to make sure that I'm not in a rush, so I don't have something coming up like in one hour or two hours. So I feel like you know, this I have to do it fast, and you know, I have to take my time. I have to know that you know, after that, I have nothing to do at least for a few hours, so I I can take my time. Uh, I put on music so I can, you know, get into this nice state of mm -hmm. having a music accompany me. I read what I've written before, like at least the pieces I did the day before in order mm -hmm. to get into the story. And then uh, when I'm coming to the scene that I will be writing, I'm taking some time. I'm trying to relieve it myself. So I imagine it, I feel it, mm. etc. And then only I start writing. So actually, very often, this preparatory stage, putting yourself into the mood, into the book, and into this faith, may uh, last longer than the actual time when you are writing it. So I'm, when I'm writing, oh. I'm writing quite fast. But I need more time to get ready to write, rather than you know the time I spend on typing the text <laughs> itself. So it's it's I don't I don't know I have a feeling that with everyone it's different so you know I don't believe that people can give tips in terms of how to write because okay. everyone finds his own ways uh, and you have to experiment because there are people who write better outside who who write better at home or uh, you know who who need music there are some people who love some silence so it's different you have to just try different things and see which works best for you. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. I, I, I lied. I want to ask one more question. You talked about writer's block in one of your uh, podcasts and how you, mm -hmm. know, you just keep writing to yeah. get over that. But was there a period in your writing that you just said, boy, this isn't for me or I should go back to my old job and all those kind of things, all those doubts? What, what do you uh, do when those periods happen? No, well, actually, no. Getting back to your job is something I've never thought about after <laughs> I quit. I, I mean, for me, it's clear. I will go to work if I need to do that financial-wise. So, I mean, I'm happy enough to have my husband who supports us financially, and I don't, I'm not obliged to work uh, because, we, I mean, he supports us. But I realize that, you know, if things change and, you know, my income will be required, I will definitely go and find a job again. But that's something out of necessity. But, you know, uh, with my desire, uh, I won't do it uh, because I don't, I don't want to. Um, but um, there have been times when I was thinking that, I mean, the doubts come more related to the writing, like, you know, oh God, you know, I will not be able to write like that book, the big right, thing, right, the good right. thing that, the, you know, that the writing is not good enough, that I still have to work on that. 
etc etc but those are uh, the ones I'm you know the thoughts I'm trying to chase them away and usually when I'm writing I'm trying not to overanalyze what I've written so usually I never edit anything or change anything before the whole manuscript is complete so I write it row as it is and later on just go over it and um, I don't know I mean uh, it's just I, I enjoy the process so even if the result at the end, I mean, is not, let's say, commercially um, good and, you know, there are some books which, you know, publishers say that they're not commercial enough and they don't find commercial value in that. So they won't publish you, for example, even if that's the case, uh, it's still fun to write it. So um, I enjoy the process. So that's why even if I have doubts, I just go ahead and write. There are some days, actually, when, when I told you about this gut feeling that you have to write something good, you, you feel that you will write. I also sometimes have this gut feeling that, you know, even if I spend nine hours writing, I won't come up with anything good. And that's when I don't force anything. That Those are the days when I don't write because I know that yes. it won't happen. And if I do, sometimes I was like taking part in NaNoWriMo, like National Novel Writing Month, when mm -hmm. you write one novel in one month. And that's when you, you need to, you know, to use all the days <laughs> writing. Right, yeah. Uh, I forced myself once when I had this feeling that I couldn't write. And you know what happened? I wrote what I was supposed to write. Then the next morning I read it. It was crap. I deleted it. And next day I wrote twice as, as much right, as I was right, supposed right. to. So it's just, you know, sometimes you don't have to push yourself and right. force yourself. It, it has to come naturally. Right. And I'll tell you, just doing this kind of creative work where there's no limits, like you talked earlier about what it was like in school. But it's interesting where, you know, when I go to work each day, it's very controlled and structured and I see the same people. But when I do this podcast and some of the entrepreneurial things, it's all very, what do I feel like doing today? And it's great in a lot of respects, but it's a little scary too, because it's, I don't, I don't have anybody uh, kind of keeping me at least uh, helping me through those times where, like you were saying, that uh, I might not feel like doing podcasting today, but uh, you still have to get a podcast out. So I, I think it's good and bad. I like having deadlines, to be honest with you. Deadlines help me. Do they help you? Um, well, um I think yes, because if you have a deadline, even if you don't feel like doing something, you you f you just sit there to try. And very mm -hmm. often when you try, you know, it comes with the try, with the, the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you may not enjoy it for the first 10, 15 minutes, but at the end you can, you know, Right. get into the mood and it can work quite smoothly for example i i recorded a few episodes um the day before yesterday i wasn't in a very good mood and i didn't like either of those so um it they were not good so what i did was, and i had like two more days safety margin for for preparing mm -hmm. those episodes i just deleted them and waited for half a day until you know I was in a better state and then only revisited the computer and started recording again <laughs> right well I hope this uh, episode makes it through the <laughs> editing process but yeah I, I really and have enjoyed uh, 
talking to you because, uh, like I said, I love I love the process and understanding what authors do. But I I think uh, I enjoy just getting to know you a little better and. Hopefully, the people that listen to your podcast will get something out of this, too. Well, I hope they won't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> like your teachers were in school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. I think that's enough for now. Okay. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you sound a little uh, apprehensive. No, no, no. It's, it's fine. Okay. Well, I guess that was it. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, if you would like to help me out, actually, to grow further the podcast or to get in touch with me and stay connected, these are the ways you could do that. First of all, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. You can leave reviews for the podcast and basically I have to tell that whenever I feel down or whenever I get doubts or whenever I don't really feel like you know recording that specific episode at that specific day I go back and read those reviews and uh, feel really honored and kind of remind myself that there are people who listen to me and who care and who like the podcast and I regain the confidence and get back to work. Uh, the other thing which is very important, I realized that many of my listeners are not on my email list and usually I keep in touch with my email list and I email them different things which not necessarily are included on the podcast and um, I send them messages which might be useful for them as writers or it's just a nice way to stay in touch. So if you would like to get on my email list, please visit www.anialexander.com backwards slash free and you will get on my email list as well as get a free ebook from me as a gift. So um, I would love to have you on my list. It would be really nice. Uh, otherwise, you know, apart from all those three really good things, which don't take too much of your time, but really mean a lot to me, what you could do is just send me an email to Annie at AnnieAlexander.com and, you know, simply tell who you are, why you're listening to the podcast, how can I help you and um, just connect and let's start building um, engagement and relationship from uh, our very first contact through the podcast. So I guess um, that was it for today. Well, 100th episode is finished now. I hope I'll have 100 more to share with you with the time. Meanwhile, just, you know, stay connected and keep on writing. And I hope that we will stay together for much, much longer. Take care. Thank you.